Chapter Twenty Four of the Riders of the Silences by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jacqueline ran between and caught the hand of her father, crying, "Are you going to finish the work of McGurk before he has a chance to start it?" He hunted the rest down one by one. Dad, if you put out Pierre, what is left? Can you face that devil alone? And the old man groaned. But it's his luck that's ruined me. It's his damned luck which has broken up the finest fellowship that ever mocked at law on the ranges. Old Jack, the heart in me's broken. I wish to God that I lay where Gandal lies. What's the use of fighting any longer? No man can stand up against McGurk. And the cold which had come into the blood of Pierre agreed with him. He was a slayer of men, but McGurk was a devil incarnate. His father had died at the hand of this lone rider. It was fitting, it was fate, that he himself should die in the same way. The girl looked from face to face and sensed their despondency. It seemed that their fear gave her greater courage. Her face flushed as she stood glaring her scorn. The yellow streak took a long time in showing, but it's in you all right, Pierre La Rouge. You've hated me ever since the dance, Jack. Why? Because I knew you were yellow like this. He shrugged his shoulders, like one who gives up the fight against a woman, and seeing it, she changed suddenly and made a gesture with both hands toward him, a sudden gesture filled with grace and a queer tenderness. She said, Pierre, have you forgotten that when you were only a boy, you stood up to McGurk? and drew blood from him. Are you afraid of him now? I'll take my chance with any man but McGurk. He has no cross to bring him luck. Aye, and he has no friends for that luck to ruin. Look at Gandal, Jack, and then speak to me of the cross. Pierre, that first time you met, you almost beat him to the draw. Oh, if I were a man, I'd... Pierre, it was to get McGurk that you rode out to the range. You've been here six years, and McGurk is still alive. And now you're ready to run from his shadow. Run, he said hotly. I swear to God that as I stand here, I've no fear of death and no hope for life ahead. She sneered. You're white while you say it. Your will may be brave, but your blood's a coward. Pierre, it deserts you. Jack, you devil. And you can threaten me safely, but if McGurk were here... Let him come, and give me one promise, a thousand of them. Let me hunt with you. He stared at her with wonder. Jack, what a heart you have. If you were a man, we could rule the mountains, you and I. Even as I am, what prevents us, Pierre? And looking at her... He forgot the sorrow which had been his ever since he looked up to the face framed with red-gold hair and the dark tree behind and the cold stars steady above it. It would come to him again, but now it was gone, and he murmured, smiling, I wonder. They made their plans that night, sitting all three together. It was better to go out and hunt the hunter than to wait there and be tracked down. Jack. 
for she insisted on it, would ride out with Pierre the next morning and hunt through the hills for the hiding place of McGurk. Some covert he must have, so as to be near his victims. Nothing else could explain the ease with which he kept on their track. They would take the trail, and Jim Boone, no longer agile enough to be effective on the trail, would guard the house and the body of Gandal in it. There was little danger that even McGurk would try to rush a hostile house, but they took no chances. The guns of Jim Boone were given a thorough overhauling, and he wore, as usual, at his belt the heavy-handled hunting knife, a deadly weapon in a hand-to-hand -hand fight. Thus equipped, they left him and took the trail. They had not ridden a hundred yards when a whistle followed them, the familiar whistle of the gang. They ranged short and saw Big Dick Wilbur riding his bay after them. But at some distance he halted and shouted, Pierre! He's come back to us, cried Jack. No, it's only some message. Do you know? Yes, stay here. This is for me alone. And he rode back to Wilbur, who swung his horse close alongside. However hard he had followed in the pursuit of happiness, his face was drawn with lines of age, and his eyes circled with shadows. He said, I've kept close on her trail, Pierre, and the nearest she has come to kindness has been to send me back with a message to you. He laughed without mirth, and the sound stopped abruptly. This is the message in her own words. I love him, Dick, and there's nothing in the world for me without him. Bring him back to me. I don't care how, but bring him back. So tell Jack to ride the trail alone today and go back with me. I give her up, not freely, but because I know there's no hope for me. But Pierre answered, Wherever I've gone, there's been luck for me, and hell for everyone around me. I lived with a priest, Dick, and left him when I was nearly old enough to begin repaying his care. I came south and found a father and lost him the same day. I gambled for money with which to bury him, and a man died that night and another was hurt. I escaped from the town by riding a horse to death. I was nearly killed in a landslide, and now the men who saved me from that are done for. It's all one story, the same over and over. Can I carry a fortune like that back to her? Dick, it would haunt me by day and by night. She would be the next. I know it, as I know that I'm sitting in the saddle here. That's my answer. Carry it back to her. I won't lie and tell you I'm sorry because I'm a fool, and still have a ghost of a hope. But this will be hard news to tell her. I'd rather give five years of life than face the look that will come in her eyes. I know it, Dick. But this is final? It is. Then good-bye, and God bless you, Pierre. And you, old fellow. They swerved their horses in opposite directions and galloped apart. It was nothing, said Pierre to Jack when he came up with her and drew his horse down to a trot. But he knew that she had read his mind. But all day through the mazes of canyon and hill and rolling ground they searched patiently. There was no cranny in the rocks too small for them to reconnoiter with caution. 
There was no group of trees that they did not examine. Yet it was not strange that they failed. In the space of every square mile there were a hundred hiding places which might have served McGurk. It would have taken a month to comb the country. They had only a day, and left the result to chance, but chance failed them. When the shadows commenced to swing across the gullies, they turned back and rode with downward heads, silent. One hill lay between them and the old ranch house, which had been the headquarters for their gang so many days. When they saw a faint drift of smoke across the sky, not a thin column of smoke, such as rises from a chimney, but a broad stream of pale mist, as if a dozen chimneys were spouting wood smoke at once. They exchanged glances and spurred their horses up the last slope. As always in a short spurt, the long-legged black of Jacqueline outdistanced the cream-colored mare, and it was she who first topped the rise of land. The girl whirled in her saddle with raised arm, screamed back at Pierre, and rode on at a still more furious pace. What he saw when he reached the corresponding position was the ranch house wreathed in smoke, and through all the lower windows was the red dance of flames. Before him fled Jacqueline with all the speed of the black. He loosened the reins, spoke to the mare, and she responded with a mighty rush. Even that tearing pace could not quite take him up to the girl, but he flung himself from the saddle and was at her side when she ran across the smoking veranda and wrenched at the front door. The whole frame gave back at her, and as Pierre snatched her to one side, the doorway fell crashing on the porch, while a mighty volume of smoke burst out at them like a puff from the pit. They stood sputtering, coughing, and choking, and when they could look again, they saw a solid wall of red flame, thick, impenetrable, shuddering with the breath of the wind. While they stared, a stronger breath of that wind tore the wall of flames apart, driving it back in a raging tide to either side. The fire had circled the walls of the entire room, but it had scarcely encroached on the center, and there, seated at the table, was Boone. He had scarcely changed from the position in which they last saw him, save that he was fallen somewhat deeper in the chair, his head resting against the top of the back. He greeted them, through that infernal furnace, with laughter and wide, steady eyes. At least it seemed laughter, for the mouth was agape and the lips grinned back, but there was no sound from the lips and no light in the fixed eyes. Laughter indeed it was, but it was the laughter of death, as if the soul of the man in dying recognized its natural wild element and had burst into convulsive mirth. So he sat there, untouched as yet, by the wide river of fire, chuckling at his destiny. The wall of fire closed across the doorway again, and the work of red ruin went on with a crashing of timbers from the upper part of the building. As that living wall shut solidly, Jacqueline leaped forward, shouting like a man, words of hope and rescue. Pierre caught her barely in time, a precarious grasp on the wrist, 
from which she nearly wrenched herself free and gained the entrance to the fire. But the jerk threw her off balance for the least fraction of an instant, and the next moment she was safe in his arms. Safe? He might as well have held a wildcat, or captured with his bare hands a wild eagle, strong of talon and beak. She tore and raged in a wild fury. Pierre, coward, devil! Steady, Jack. Are you going to let him die? Don't you see? He's already dead. You lie. You only fear the fire. I tell you, McGurk has been here before us. Her arm was freed by a twisting effort, and she beat him furiously across the face. One blow cut his lip, and his steady trickle of hot blood left a taste of salt in his mouth. You young fiend, he cried, and grasped both her wrists with a crushing force. She leaned and gnashed at his hand, but he whirled her about and held her from behind, impotent, raging still. A hundred McGurks could never have killed him. There was a sharp explosion from the mist to the fire. See, he's fighting against his death. No, no, it's only the falling of a timber. Yet with a panic at his heart, he knew that it was the sharp crack of a firearm. Liar again, Pierre, for God's sakes, do something for him. Father, he's fighting for his life. Another and another explosion from the midst of the fire. He understood then. The flames have reached his gun, that's all, Jack. Don't you see? We'd be throwing ourselves away to run into those flames. Realization came to her at last. A heavy weight slumped down suddenly over his arms. He held her easily, lightly. Her head had tilted back, and the red flare of the fire beat across her face and throat. The roar of the flames shut out all other thought of the world and cast a wide inferno of light around them. Higher and higher rose the fires, and the wind cut off great fragments and hurried them out into the night, blowing them, it seemed, straight up against the piled thunder of the clouds. Then the roof sagged, swayed, and fell crashing, while a vast cloud of sparks and livid fires shot up a hundred feet into the air. It was as if the soul of old Boone had departed in that final flare. It started the girl into sudden life, surprising Pierre, so that she managed to wrench herself free and ran from him. He sprang after her with a shout, fearing that in her hysteria she might fling herself into the fire, but that was not her purpose. Straight to the black horse she ran, swung into the saddle with the ease of a man, and rode furiously off through the falling of the night. He watched her with a curious closing of loneliness, like a hand about his heart. He had failed, and because of that failure, even Jacqueline was leaving him. It was strange, for since the loss of the girl of the yellow hair and those deep blue eyes, he had never dreamed that another thing in life could pain him. So at length he mounted the mare again and rode slowly down the hill and out toward the distant ranges, trotting mile after mile with downward head, not caring even if McGurk should cross him, for surely this was the final end of the world 
to Pierre La Rouge. About midnight he halted at last, for the uneasy sway of the mare showed that she was nearly dead on her feet with weariness. He found a convenient place for a camp, built his fire, and wrapped his blanket about him without thinking of food. He never knew how long he sat there, for his thoughts circled the world and back again, and found all prospect of desert before him and behind, until a sound, a vague sound out of the night, startled him into alertness. He slipped from beside the fire and into the shadows of a steep rock, watching with eyes that almost pierced the dark on all sides. And there he saw her creeping up on the outskirts of the firelight, prone on her hands and knees, dragging herself up like a young wildcat hunting prey. It was the glimmer of her eyes that he caught first through the gloom. The thought came to him that she had returned with her gun ready. Inch by inch she came closer, and now he was aware of her restless glances probing on all sides of the campfire. Silence, only the crackling of a pitchy stick, and then he heard a muffled sound, soft, soft as the beating of a heart in the night, and a regular pulsing. It hurt him infinitely, and he called gently, Jack, why are you weeping? She started up with her fingers twisted at the butt of her gun. It's a lie, called a tremulous voice. Why should I weep? And then she ran to him. Oh, Pierre, I thought you were gone. The silence which came between them was thick with understanding, greater than speech. He said at last, I've made my plan. I'm going straight for the higher mountains and try to shake McGurk off my trail. There's one chance in ten I may succeed. And if I do, then I'll wait for my chance and come down on him, for sooner or later we have to fight this out to the end. I know a place he could never find, said Jacqueline, the old cabin in the gully between the twin bears. We'll start for it tonight. Not we, he answered. Jack, here's the end of our riding together. She frowned with puzzled wonder. He explained, one man is stronger than a dozen. That's the strength of McGurk, that he rides alone. He's finished your father's men. There's only Wilbur left, and Wilbur will go next, then me. She stretched her hands to him. She seemed to be pleading for her very life. But if he finds us and has to fight us both, I shoot as straight as a man, Pierre. Straighter than most, and you're a better pal than any I've ever ridden with. But I must go alone. It's only a lone wolf that will ever bring down McGurk. That's how he's rounded us up like a herd of cattle and brought us down one by one. By getting each man alone and killing him from behind. From the front, Jack. No, he's fought square with each one. The wounds of Black Gandal were all in front. And when McGurk and I meet, it's going to be face to face. Her tone changed, softened. But what of me, Pierre? You have to leave this life. Go down to the city, Jack. Live like a woman. Marry some lucky fellow. Be happy. Can you leave me so easily? No, it's hard, devilish hard, to part with a pal like you, Jack. 
But all the rest of my life I've got hard things to face, partner. Partner, she repeated with an indescribable emphasis. Pierre, I can't leave you. Why? I'm afraid to go. Let me stay. He said gloomily, No good will come of it. I'll never trouble you, never. No, the bad luck comes on the people who are with me, but never on me. It's struck them all down, one by one. Your turn is next, Jack. If I could leave the cross behind. He covered his face and groaned, but I don't dare. I don't dare. I have to face McGurk, Jack. I hate myself for it, but I can't help it. I'm afraid of McGurk, afraid of that damned white face, that lowered, fluttering eyelid, that sneering mouth. Without the cross to bring me luck, how could I meet him? But while I keep the cross, there's ruin in hell without end for everyone with me. She was white and shaking. She said, I'm not afraid. I've one friend left. There's nothing else to care for. So it's to be this way, Jack? This way and no other. Partner, I'm glad. My God, Jack, what a man you would have made. Their hands met and clung together, and her head drooped perhaps in acquiescence. End of chapter 24